beginning our summer series called Mercy Triumphs, a journey through the book of James. Mercy Triumphs is uh, one of these beautiful verses in the book of James, a book that is full of incredible verses and incredible thought, and I'm excited to go through this with you. But today, just to confess, um, we're going to do one verse of the book of James. <laughs> That's as far as we're going to get. But don't worry, we're not going to be doing James for the next six years of our life. Um, we're just going to sit here this morning um, because there's some, some neat stuff in the story of James and that we see uh, echoing in that one particular verse. Um, as we'll learn from that verse that we look at today, the author of James is a little skeptical um, on the way. So that should feel all right to the rest of us. Um, that, should, uh, that should be something that we resonate with. Because there's much to be skeptical about in our world, isn't there? Uh, it's hard to wrap our heads around that stuff, to know what to believe, um, to know what not to believe in our world. So, uh, Here's some facts about our world. Did you know that a single bolt of lightning, very, very frightening, uh, contains enough energy to cook 100,000 pieces of toast? True. So college kids, there's a little money-saving tip for you. Uh, Take your toast outside when it's raining. Um, Did you know that all of the Lego bricks ever created in the world, if they were clipped on top of each other, could reach to the moon ten times? Oh, that's how many Lego bricks there are, and that's the only way to ensure that none of them get stepped on in the middle of the night when you're barefoot, is by stacking them all up like that. But it's even harder to know what to believe when what you've been taught seems to conflict with what you're discovering about the world. Like when you learn that a tomato is a fruit and not a vegetable. Um, scientifically speaking, a tomato is a fruit. We all know that. Tomatoes grow out of the ovaries of a flower and contain the seeds of a plant. So they're a fruit. We all know that, right? But uh, which one of us is going to be the first one to put tomatoes on our froyo? Um, it goes against everything that we've been ever taught, but, uh, but truth always wins. So watch out for that froyo topping at your next place. But it gets especially hard and deep and difficult when religion gets mixed into this. Religion seems to bump into life or reason or experience or complexity. We start experiencing this word that was terrifying to me when I was younger, this word doubt. Doubt. Questions. Uncertainty. I mean, we've all known doubt along the way, but for me growing up, this was particularly terrifying because in the context that I was in, church was not always a safe place to doubt, to have questions. That's what I felt about it, that we were supposed to be answer people and not question people. And so if I had more questions than answers, then where does that leave me? Because in many places in American Christianity, uh, we've reduced faith to a set of intellectual propositions that we simply say yes to. Believe this specific set of things about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, about theology, about Tim Tebow, um, you know, on and on are these things that we're supposed to ascribe to. And if you can say yes to those things, you're golden. But the moment that things begin to get a little bit more complex, and Tim Tebow's spirals start wobbling a little bit, and life starts wobbling, and it's nuanced, that moment that you can't quite wrap your brain around at all and get your intellect to line up just right. We start to worry that our faith is falling apart, that our our certainty is gone, that our worldview cannot hold together, that somehow we're disqualified 
from being faithful because of our doubt. But that could not be farther from the truth, uh, from the heart of the God who created this universe in all its beauty and complexity and diversity and quantum uncertainty. God is big enough for all of our questions. Even more than that, God invites us to ask, to seek along the way. Jeremiah 29, 13, as Jacqueline read for us, says, Seek me, and you will find me. Seek, God invites us. Because God wants more for us than just pat answers that have been handed down to us. God wants us to seek and to be shaped, to grow through our seeking, to develop these roots that go down deep and walk in a faith that is tested and strong and humble and flexible to let the questions lead us beyond where we are today to the so much more that God has prepared for us. I mean, Jesus called his followers disciples. Disciples. Disciples means a student or a learner, and that means asking questions and wrestling and seeking, walking with humility that we don't know everything, that we cannot know everything, but trusting that there is joy in the discovery that questions are not disqualification, that they are an invitation to go deeper, that God invites us to seek. Because true faith has never been about intellectual assent to a proposition. Faith is a journey. It's a choice to set out on a journey. It's a considered choice to act and to trust and to hope and to love and to move even when we have questions. The choice to trust and to hope in the servant way of Christ as disciples. Uh, and to trust that we're loved, even more to trust that love wins, even if we can't see the path to victory. So if we had all of the answers, then it simply wouldn't be faith. If we thought we had all of the answers, we couldn't grow in faith. And so maybe the opposite of faith isn't doubt, but a sense of self-certainty. And that's why God invites us further, to seek Seek me, and you will find me. I wish so much that I could have heard this, um, that, that everyone in our world could hear this and know that it is okay to seek, that we're loved every single step, and especially those uncertain ones, that even though in our faith we have these questions, that in this seeking, in this dance of belief and doubt and moving forward on this journey with God, the questions and the seeking will make us better as disciples, as learners. So last week, Lindsay, my wife, attended a, a bar mitzvah for one of her friend's uh, sons. And the whole process of the bar mitzvah is absolutely amazing. It's like Methodist confirmation just on steroids. It's super intense. And way before they did the whole like chairlifting thing where they try to throw a 13-year-old boy off a chair together as a group, which is um, safe, I think, this kid learned... Hebrew, learned to read uh, a passage of scripture, learned about the Hebrew scriptures, about his faith, about his heritage and his history. And at, at the end of it, the rabbi turned to him and spoke to him publicly and said, you have learned so much and I don't want you to forget it. You have a strong foundation, but now it's your job to investigate what you've learned. Test it, question it, 
See if it holds together. And then it won't just be what was handed down to you. It will be yours. That's your task now. But wherever it is that that journey leads, this community, the rabbi said, will always be your home. (laughs) And when she shared that with me, it just blew me away because I thought of all my friends, I thought of myself, the people I'd seen who felt spiritually homeless because they had questions along the way. So many who thought that because they couldn't get their minds wrapped around a particular proposition that they were disqualified, uh, that others looked down on them, they felt they could no longer be part of the community because they didn't have an answer, because they answered differently than the people around them. But what if they knew that it was safe? More than that, that they were invited and that every step of the way that they would have a home no matter what. And so I want you to know, we want you to know and to trust in this ourselves that here you have permission to question and to seek. That this place, this community of open, this church of FEMC will always be here for you and will be a safe place, a home, no matter where you are on your journey. And we know that Just as we have a firm foundation in Christ, that we are not settled, we are not static, that we are seeking people. We're always going on and growing on and gaining through our investigating. So despite what you've been told, God loves questions. God loves seeking. Anywhere in creation that you want to look and seek, you'll find God. Because like it says in Romans 1.20, it says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. This means that every corner of the cosmos declares the glory of God. If God is ultimate truth, then as St. Augustine says, all truth is God's truth. But is it really okay to wrestle? (laughs) Look, throughout the story of our faith, every single character questioned God, doubted, wrestled with this. The name Israel, given to Jacob and then to a whole people, that word itself means one who wrestled with God. That's part of who we are. Mother Mary asked a messenger of God, how can this be? Well, I don't know. If an angel shows up to you, that might be how it could be. Jesus had a disciple who was nicknamed by us, Doubting Thomas, and still we paint pictures of him along the way. Amazingly, even Jesus himself in the garden before the crucifixion wrestled with God and asked, is there another way? And although he wasn't quite sure of the course, he had the faith to choose to trust and to love and to act in love. And in each one of these stories in our narrative, the journey of that seeking is what made those people who they are. And their impact on the world, the stories that they hand down to us, what God did through them was only possible through the shape of their seeking. So one character who embodies this is a guy named James. A guy named James, who tradition says wrote the book that we'll be journeying through this summer. It's a book called The Book of James. They were very creative with their names and titles back then. But James was a skeptic. James was a skeptic. And for most of Jesus' ministry, he did not believe. But he had a really, really good reason to be skeptical 
of Jesus. See, James was Jesus's brother. <laughs> he was Jesus's half-brother. And just think about that. How hard would it be for you to believe that your brother, if you have a brother, was Jesus? I think he had good reason to be skeptical because he knew how often Jesus really washed his sandals. Um, he, knew, uh, he knew what Jesus looked like before Jesus could grow a beard, which was strangely like Steve Nash, I think. <laughs> He knew what Jesus wore underneath his robe, right? Which was, of course, a Beatles t-shirt, as it should be. But James had a hard time getting his head around the fact that his brother just might be Jesus. But he also had a hard time getting around the ideas that Jesus was bringing. See, James had a particular vision of how the world was supposed to work. He was a serious and a devout Jew, probably in the Pharisee school. His nickname was James the Righteous, which is a serious nickname. Um, he was a serious Orthodox Jew, and as a serious Orthodox Jew back in those days, James had a vision for the world that was predicated on right action. Follow the religious law and live right, and you'll be blessed, and the nation will be blessed. James was seeking God as hard as he knew how, but he couldn't get his mind around this Jesus thing. Because Jesus was spreading this message that God was open and full of grace. That this good news that Jesus was spreading, it seemed pretty merciful, truly. It was inviting everyone and saying that God was open to all who seek. It was deeply challenging to James, and so he was skeptical. And so we see him a few times in the Gospels, in the stories of Jesus, and it was never a good thing when he showed up. Like in Mark chapter 3, it says, Jesus went home, and the crowd came, and when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. He's preaching this radical message of love and of grace. And so his mothers and his brothers go out to try to bring him home. And at the end of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus has been condemned to the death penalty of the cross, his mother is there, but his brother James isn't. He was a skeptic. But the story of James that leads us to this book doesn't stop there. Somehow he stayed open, he kept seeking, and he wrestled with his hopes and his history and himself. And he kept seeking, and he found something that transformed his life. And by the time we reach the book of James, this is how James introduced himself. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. You can see his Jewish background there, but it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something happened in his seeking, something real. To go from skeptic to servant, even though he was probably still a skeptic deep down, you can see that come through a little bit in the book, that he writes, he can say, I, James, am a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of my older brother. <laughs> Something happened. In fact, James had become a leader, the leader of the Jewish Christian Jesus followers in Jerusalem. So how did he go from skeptic to servant? This one who had been searching for so long. We'll get to the specifics later and we'll see them unpacked a little bit in the story this summer. But to suffice it to say, James kept seeking. He stayed open. He didn't give up or stop 
or close off or be cynical. He kept seeking, and he found, like so many of us along the way, that all along God was seeking him. And that encounter with the grace-filled God transcended and fulfilled all of his searching. So a lot of us are in that same place as James. We're, we're skeptical or we're uncertain, some days more than others. So how do we keep open in that same way? How do we keep seeking like James? There's so much to say on this. We could talk for the rest of our lives about this, but I want to give you a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, just a few tips to live into your journey as you seek. And the first is this, as you seek, act in love. This is what I mean by this. We don't know all of the answers. We never will. Uh, And any answer that we hold must be held humbly in our hands. But we do know a few things. Uh, Jesus said that the whole of the teaching of the Bible can be brought down to these two things. Love God and love neighbor. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. And so if you don't know what else to do, act on that. The whole law through which James was seeking God came down to loving action toward God and to neighbor. And we'll see in this book, James took devotion and social justice very, very seriously. He really tried to put it into action. And when we act in love, we may not have all of the answers, but we begin to experience the power, the true power of God's kind of transformational love. And we begin, like it says in Psalm 34, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to experience this love and the transformation of it. So Mother Teresa struggled with doubt, we've learned. And for seasons in her life, she had a hard time finding God, hearing God's voice. And that's so incredibly comforting to me that if Mother Teresa struggled, that we're in good company, isn't it? But every day, even in the midst of those seasons, especially in those seasons when she had a hard time finding God, she went to care for and love the lepers of Calcutta. And she says that she found God among the least of them, every one of them, she says, Jesus in disguise. There's a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 25. Jesus says to some folks, you know, thank you for feeding me when I was hungry and clothing me when I was naked and visiting me when I was in prison. And they look around and they say, when did we do that for you, Jesus? And Jesus responds, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. If you're dry, be a servant, because we begin to find and discover the face of God when we act in love. Mother Teresa said it this way. She said, I'm just a little pencil in the hand of a God writing a love letter to the world. And here's the thing. When we begin to be a part of the writing of that letter, we get to read it too. And finding God by acting on what you know, by acting in faith, acting in love. Seek that way. Second thing is this. As we seek, seek in love. I mean this, this, that as you seek every step of the journey, rest assured that you are loved, that there's a creator who loves you and believes in you, and there is no doubt that disqualifies us, but in fact, there is unqualified love that carries us on our way. And the hope, the real hope that we find there 
is one that's open for you here. That in this place, you're safe to seek, to question, to doubt. There's something about seeking in community that when we're struggling, we can hold each other up when faith gets hard and help each other to seek in love. But the second part of this seek in love thing is the fact that love should be our motivation on our journey. Motivation behind everything, but especially in our doubt. We don't seek for knowledge or for facts or for proof alone, but we seek out of love for God. Even if we don't know exactly what that means, and love for neighbor, because the person who seeks to love God more and better, the person who's seeking in love will choose to struggle through those intellectual questions rather than ignore them or pretend they don't exist or succumb to them, but continue on in our journey out of love, just as the person who loves her neighbors or her enemies will ask serious questions of herself, of the church, and of God about how to truly love our neighbor in this world. Asking questions is what people who are in love do. When you first meet someone that you're interested in, right, what is basically the whole first date? It's a bunch of questions. You know, where did you grow up? What are you into? Who's your favorite Disney princess? Um, what's your favorite Wikipedia page? Which is probably the same thing if you love Disney princesses. In love, questions are not offensive. They're ways to deepen a relationship and to grow closer to each other and be shaped by each other. They do not end as the relationship progresses. They only go deeper. And it's the same with our relationship with God. In the end, what we really seek is to know God, to know ourselves, to know our loving purpose in this life with others, to know love. And so it's love not facts that will ultimately satisfy our seeking. Paul wrote it this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, For now we see a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but I, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then he goes on and he says, These three remain. Faith hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. On this journey, in this tension between knowing fully and being fully known, we must learn to abide in love and to seek in love. It's the greatest of these, even greater, Paul says, than love, than faith, because it calls us and empowers us along our journey. The third thing is this, on your journey of seeking, Keep seeking. Keep seeking. Don't stop. <laughs> Don't stop halfway or at half-truths or at apathy or cynicism. Don't stop at easy answers or pithy Pinterest posters. Even if you are a dude on stage with a mic, keep seeking. Keep seeking. Not that I've already attained, but I press on to the prize that is ahead. Paul says, seek me and you will find me, says God. So I had a friend that I worked with in Israel. He's a wise man named John Pex. Uh, when he was uh, living in the 70s, he was a bit older than me, he and his wife Judy were doing what they called the hippie circuit. Um, they would travel to the great religious sites of the world in search of meaning, and they had hit Rome, they'd hit Greece, and Istanbul, and Giza in Egypt. Uh, 
But their boat broke down in Haifa, Israel. And so they were stuck there for a little bit. And one day, he was sharing a taxi with a fellow uh, hippie traveler, and he told him the story of, of what their journey had been so far. And the guy looked at him and said, that's cool, man. Well, he probably said, like, that's cool, man, right? Um, and then he said, that's cool. But I want to tell you, keep seeking. Keep seeking. If you keep seeking and you don't stop, eventually you're going to come across the person of Jesus. And there's nothing more compelling and meaningful in the world. And so take this. And he pulls out of his back pocket a New Testament, and he handed it to John. And so that night, John started reading, and reading through the Gospels, and beginning to read through the stories of this Jesus. And by the time the night was over, John knew that he had to know more. He had to learn more. He had so many questions. But at the end of this, he had to know how to love and to live like Jesus. And so 30 years later, when I met John and Judy, they were still in Israel. They'd been to India, but they came back. Now they run a hostel, which is a super affordable place for travelers and seekers who are on their journey through Israel. And he tells them, keep seeking. Don't stop. And then in their spare time on the weekends, John and Judy help run a church for seekers. So James, the brother of Jesus, kept on seeking He's looking for life through serious adherence to the law and to life, to righteousness and truth, which are good things, but aren't enough. But he kept on seeking, and eventually what he found was so much more than that, something that fulfilled and transcended his seeking. He found the person of Jesus, the one who was full of grace and truth, righteousness and justice, sovereignty and servanthood, gentleness and strength and mercy and love above all. We're not exactly sure what went down between Jesus and James. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, that after the resurrection, as Jesus began to show up, he appeared to James. Jesus sought out and found James, his brother, who thought he was crazy, who wasn't there at, at the cross, Jesus seeked him out and loved him. I just imagine that encounter. <laughs> what an experience, an intersection of grace and mercy, mercy and just mind-blowing truth and restoration and wonder that could never fit into words or facts, this spiritual encounter that changes everything that fulfills but does not end our seeking and brings clarity and cohesion and light to our life. In the end, what James happened in his life is that he had an experience with a God who was alive and knew him. And that's what we are seeking for as well. Next time we see G James, just a month after the crucifixion, he's there with the disciples, praying and seeking. The James, who wrote the letter we'll read this summer, who says, I am a servant of God. Because when we seek, like James, we act in love, we seek in love, and we keep on seeking. We find this amazing truth that God is seeking you long before. And not just the pretty church answer part of you, 
all of you, all of you, just like Jesus sought all of James. I've been leaving off the last half of that Jeremiah verse, but I want us to see it here. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all you are. With all you are, with your doubts and your questions and your uniqueness and your idiosyncrasies and your history and your story with all of you. In most translations, that says, when you seek me with all your heart. But in Hebrew, that word heart is so much more. It means our soul, our strength, our mind, our spirit, our inner self with all that you are. And especially with your doubts and your questions, your own unique journey of faith-seeking understanding. Because that's part of all of us, and God has something, a purpose for all that we are. So as we read this text this summer, we'll see that James' questions and his wrestling about right living and action and works were not thrown out by this transformative experience with a living God. In fact, God used them. God invited them, and it became part of the story. Just like God uses our seeking, God used all of James, and we are better for it. The book of James is this perfect intersection of Jewish wisdom tradition and grace and mercy. It has more imperatives about right action than any other book in the New Testament. But at its heart, it knows that right action flows from a right heart transformed by a loving, living God. James said, faith without works is dead. He brought faith and works together. That was his contribution to our story. And he's right, and it's so important that we have his voice, his seeking in our story. He said, pure and undefiled religion cares for the widows and the orphans in their distress. And he's right. Right action flows through our life in a way that loves our neighbor as ourself. But he also learned that right action doesn't come from trying harder. It flows from hearts transformed by love, from being servants of Christ, that we don't behave in order to belong. We belong to God so that we can become who we were built to be. And in the end of all our trying, the message of James that underlies everything that he met in that encounter with living God is this. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good news. Because that's exactly what he found when he encountered face to face this Jesus that he was seeking and skeptical of and questioning that what he found was mercy upon mercy upon mercy that triumphed over everything. But his greatest contribution to our story might just be what happened in the Jerusalem Council that we read about in Acts chapter 15. Really early in the years after Jesus, all of the Jesus followers were Jews back in those days, and some new people were showing up, some unexpected people, and there was a debate over whether they were allowed to be a part of this community. Whether Jesus followers who were Gentiles, who were non-Jews, um, had to follow the Jewish law and essentially become Jewish. And so James the righteous, <laughs> the still devout Jewish servant of Jesus, presided over this council deciding this. As one who had sought God through the law, he listened 
And he listened to the Gentiles and he saw that they too had encountered the living God in Jesus, that their hearts were transformed by love. And so he says this in Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are seeking God. Boom. <laughs> Let all who seek come, is what he says. James, the seeker who wrestled in question and doubt, in the end he found the heart of the matter, the merciful heart of Christ. That it was about more than loving to be right. It was about seeking right being through love. And it was through his seeking that us, most of us in this room are Gentiles, were invited into this story to seek ourselves because of what he learned on his journey. And so this summer, as we read this text together, as you go about your journey, I want you to know that God invites you to seek. God loves seeking. <laughs> know that God invites you to seek. And so on that seeking journey, along the way, act in love. Seek in love and keep on seeking. And know this, that this place can be your home. Because your journey, your seeking, is important to what God's doing in you, what God's doing in the world, important to us as well. We learn so much from each other. So keep seeking God. And when you do, you will find, Scripture says, that God is seeking you, all of you, your questions and your doubts, the true you, the God who loves you and knows you and formed you. God is seeking you. So let's open our hearts. Let's seek God together that we may be found, that we might find what we seek, a God who is alive, a God who is love. I'm excited to begin this journey with you. We'll get through a few more verses next week, and we'll go on this journey of seeking God along with Brother James. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you welcome our seeking and our questions and our searching. More than that, God, more than just welcoming it, God, you unveil yourself to us as we ask questions, as we wrestle, God, as we journey. But most of all, God, help us to do it in faith, to make the choice to go on this journey after you, to act in love, to seek in love, and to keep on seeking. Pull us away from half-truths and half-answers so that we can go deeper and find your heart not for facts or for figures, God, but so that we can be formed in your image, shaped by your heart, to love you more, to love our neighbors, and to love ourselves as you built us to be. We pray this in your name, O God of the seeker. Amen.